Boy, it's so, so good to worship with you this morning, to be with you together on this long weekend. And um, I think probably all of you, your hearts are just full, right, from what's already happened in the worship service. But um, since you're in the room, just hang around a little while and we'll have a little message here um, before you leave. <clears throat> but so good to worship with you. You know, this August long weekend, or do we call it September long weekend? Whatever, long weekend. Just sort of marks a change, doesn't it? In the lives of our families. And um, some kids already have gone back to school a couple weeks ago. Others are starting this week. And so just seems like regular patterns of families and life just changes and begins to be a bit more normal, I guess, or, or patterned, uh, predictable. And... Um, one of the changes, I mean, you know what, unfortunately, it feels like fall is already here. Like, how could this happen on this weekend, you know, with the fog around this morning? But we'll hold on for a bit of good weather, hopefully through September. Another one of the, the changes you won't, you won't want to miss next weekend, uh, Pastor Henry is starting a new sermon series next weekend on the book of Romans. And so that is just something that we're all looking forward to. Um, he's returning from just a bit of time for study and some vacation time that he had off this summer, but he's back next weekend. Um, and as already mentioned, Jared mentioned, you know, this weekend and next weekend, please stop by. Talk to one of our pastors. Talk to one of our ministry leaders in the atrium um, about how you might want to get involved. Um, they want to hear about your spiritual journey. They want to hear about what God is doing in your life. They want to hear about interests you have, questions you have. Um, and so take advantage of that this weekend after this service or next weekend, come a little bit early next weekend, have some conversations because they want to talk about you and what God is up to in your life. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to spend the next 35, 40 minutes or so talking about you and how God has made you, how he's created you and what he's created you for. And I want to remind you of some things that are true about you. I want to remind you of some things that are true about you this morning. I love different gift assessments, personality assessments, um, just because I think it's so good for all of us to become a little bit more self-aware of who we are and how we're wired and how we're made up. And one of my favorite assessment tools is called Strength Finder. And I love that tool because it points out areas that you and I are strong in, strengths that we have, points out what's best about us, areas and things that we are actually good at. And I love the premise, too, that that whole uh, assessment is built on, in that um, the premise behind it is that we have the greatest ability to contribute to those around us and to the world around us and impact others in areas that we're good at. And so it says, maximize your strengths, maximize what you're good at and manage your weaknesses. Don't ignore your weaknesses, manage them. But the areas that you will have a profound impact in life is through what you're gifted at and what's right and good about you. And I love that assessment in our kids. Um, you know, it's been so helpful for my marriage with Nadine for us to understand one another better and how we're wired up. Um, our daughter took this assessment. She's nine years old, grade three, and it was so interesting to see words um, and descriptions put to paper that really reflect her 
and how God has made her. And our two boys are going to do this assessment too. It's going to, we believe, help us as parents in how we raise our children and disciple our children. Here's my point with all of this. If you would take this assessment, you would get five words, your top five strengths, they call it. Five out of 34 possibilities, you'd get your top five. Here's the thing, the chances that someone would have the same top five themes or strengths as you do in the same order, the chances of that happening is one in 278,000. Calgary is a little over a million people. That tells me that there are only four other people like you in all of Calgary according to your top five strengths. That's how unique you are. But let's go, if you, ha- if you took this assessment and you, you were able to see all of your 34 themes, all of your 34 strengths listed out, the chances that someone else in the world would have the same 34 strengths listed in the same order is one in 33 and a half million. There's about 37 million people in Canada, so let's just round up. You, there is only one of you. You are one of a kind. You're unique, one in 37, or 33 and a half million people. That's how unique you are. Some of you are saying, yeah, you are really unique. (laughs) You know, to your neighbor. That's how unique you are. You are one of a kind. And I want to talk about you this morning. There is no one else that is quite similar to you in your way of thinking, your way of behaving, your way of relating to others, your way of thinking, your way of problem solving. You're incredibly unique. And this is true about you. It's true because God says it's true about you. In the time that we have left, I want us to look at two ideas through two Bible passages, two passages of Scripture. I want us, first of all, to look at how you are created. How are you made? How are you designed? How are you created? And then we're going to look at what you were created for. I want to talk about you this morning and what's true about you because this is what God says is true about you. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We're going to be reading at verse 13. And David is inspired by God to write these words down, this song, this psalm. And what David is doing is he's thinking about himself. And he's thinking here about how God sees him and about how God has made him. And he writes these words on paper here that are true about him when he lived, but they're also true about you. They're true about you. This is what David says, Psalm 139, 139 verse 13. He says, for you created my inmost being. Right away, David proclaims here, he declares this, he states a truth, a fact. You created my inmost being. For sure, your mom and dad had a part to play, but God created you. He is the one that put you together. He created your inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I don't know know a lot about knitting, But when I see people knit, it looks pretty detailed. (laughs) Pretty detailed, pretty intricate. And this is what David is saying, is you, God, you created me. You patiently, stitch by stitch, piece by piece, little detail by little detail, knit 
me together. You are the one that put me together. And in a place where, that would be impossible for anyone else to be in your mother's womb, God, you were there. You were present. You were the one creating me, putting me together. You fashioned me. You formed me. You shaped me. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And this word fearfully doesn't mean to be afraid of something. It means incredible. It means unbelievable. It's a synonym that way. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. The word works here tells us that God is the one at work. He's working and he's working on you in creating you. You are his work project. Sometimes we think that our life is our project. No, you are God's project that he is working on. David said, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He goes on in verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. I wasn't hidden from you. God, you saw everything about me when I was being made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body. When you were in your mother's womb, without form, simply cells bunched together before you had fingernails, toenails, before you had fingers and toes, before you had wrists and ankles and knees, neck, lungs, heart, before you were even begin, beginning to show signs of us being human beings, before you were formed, God saw you. He knew you. He goes on, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. All the days ordained, all the days set out before you were set out by God. And they were written down in a book, and I have no idea what this book looks like, but, but the, God says here that they were written down. He has written down all the days of your life, set out before you, ordained, planned before you, orchestrated in advance, before you even lived your first day, God had all of that set out and written down, prepared for you, set in advance before you, that you would live them before one of them came to be. And as David is sitting there and he's wondering about himself and he's wondering about how God sees him and how God made him, it's almost like he just can't contain all of these thoughts, these remarkable, outrageous, awesome thoughts. And it's just like he explodes and he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. With an exclamation mark there, how vast the sum of them. He's saying, God, I can't believe how much you would think about me. I can't believe how thoughtful you were about me. I can't believe that. And he goes on to say, were I to count them, if I would count all of the thoughts you've had about me, God, they would outnumber the grains of sand. They would outnumber grains of sand. And I learned some things about sand this week. You see, in, in a cup of sand, 
There's estimated to be two million grains of sand in one cup. Two million grains of sand. I have about maybe half a cup in each hand here. David says, if I were to count all of the thoughts that God had about me, if we were to count all the thoughts that God had about you, they would outnumber all the grains of sand. In my hand here, I mean, there's a thought about you, a thought about you, a thought about you, tens of thoughts about you, hundreds of thoughts about you, thousands of thoughts about you, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. There went two million thoughts (laughs) about you that God has had. And the Bible here says, the thoughts that God has had before you were born, before you started to be shaped like a human being, while you were in your mother's womb, those thoughts outnumber all the grains of sand. Millions upon millions upon millions of thoughts that God has had about you. About the days that you would live. I don't know about you, but that just tells me that God loves me so much. That tells me that God loves you so much that he would think about you that much. You see, when we think of ourselves, we just need to see the truth and the reality that it's God who has created us. God made us. God did that. He made you when he created you. The works that are wonderful that David references are you. You are wonderful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. See, we are God's workmanship. We're God's project. We're God's, the result of God's work. We're the result of God's creative genius. There's genius in each one of us in the way that God shaped us and fashioned us. He sees you. He knows you. He knew about you before you were born. He set out all of your days before you. You have value. You are cherished. He delights in you. He is proud of you. He thinks good of you. His thoughts towards you are full of kindness and grace and mercy and compassion. And he creates wonderful things with such detail and such intricate design and purposefulness. He created you specifically to be unique, one of a kind. And he set out your days before you so that you would fulfill them and live out his destiny for you. That you you would live out your life. And here's what you need to know. God always, when he creates, all the time when we see God creating in scripture, all the time he creates for a purpose. He creates for a purpose. See, not only were you formed by God, shaped by God, your days set out before you. Acts 17 says something even more remarkable, as if there could be something more remarkable than what we've just already talked about. But Acts 17, verse 26, said that God has marked out our appointed times to live. The fact that you are alive right now in 2019 is uh, is. is is evidence that God has marked out our appointed times to live. 
He not only establishes our days, but the times that we would live. And this verse goes on further to say, God marked out our appointed times in history and the boundaries of our land. Meaning that God marked out even the place that you would inhabit, the place that you would live, the territory that you would live in and occupy, and your address. The Bible even says that. Isn't it just remarkable about how God has created us? The ways he's done that. The purposefulness that he's done that. So we can truly say with David, God, your thoughts towards us are millions. We can't even count them. Your thoughts towards us are incredible, are extravagant, are so indicative of your love towards us. His thoughts are so gracious, loving, and kind towards us in this way. But then we need to ask the question, so why would God, why would God create us? Why would he put so much thought into making us? Why would he think about us so much and and have so many thoughts about us? Why did God knit us together in our mother's womb? Some of us black hair, brown hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, brown eyes, darker skin, lighter skin. Why did he influence us to be, some of us to be extroverted, some of us to be introverted? Why did he put so much intricate detail into our cellular structure and our development and our DNA sequencing and all of that? Why did he do that? Why did he make us like we are? Why did he create us? Well, the answer we find is in one simple, short, but profound verse. Profound verse. Many of you know this verse. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. Simple, short, but profound verse for our lives. It says this, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul says here that we are God's handiwork. Other translations say workmanship. The Greek word here is the word poem. We are God's poem. Paul is simply reiterating what we've just talked about in Psalm 139. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. We are a product of God's work. David says, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Paul's reminding us of what David wrote here about God. We are the result of God's creative genius work. But Paul takes our thinking here, just proclaims the truth about us even a bit further. Because Paul says here that we are created in Christ Jesus. You see, what Paul's getting at here is that God, first of us, created us the first time. And then we're born, and then God recreates us. He gives us a new life. He gives us a new birth. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And God did that. We are given, we're recreated again. Not only once, but twice. And that happens when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we are saved, we are redeemed, we are made new, we're given a new birth, we're born again a second time. This is what Paul is getting at. We are created in Christ Jesus. And I want us just to pause here for a moment. And I just want to hear, I want you to hear something 
that has to do now with our identity, with truly who we are. You see, all of what we've been talking about so far up to this point is about God's work, what God has done. We haven't talked about anything yet of what we are to do and our response to all of how God has made us. We've just been talking about what God has done. God has done all of this work in creating us the first time in our mother's womb, causing us to be born, setting out our days, establishing our times, establishing our boundaries. God has done all of that work, even recreating us in Jesus Christ, saving us, redeeming us. God has done all of this when we haven't done anything yet. And his thoughts towards us are, like we've said, millions upon millions and millions of thoughts that he's had. So what is the implication of all this? What this all means is this. Your core identity has nothing to do with what you have done. Your core identity of truly who you are, who I am, we see here from Scripture is not based on anything that we have done, but our identity is based completely on what God has already done. But church, we so often tend to flip that and place our identity in the stuff that we do in our actions and our activity and our work. But I just want to remind you of this fact. God has made us. God has created us. God has saved us and remade us, caused us to be born again in Jesus Christ. And that is our identity and we've done nothing, nothing to contribute to that process. And that's where, that's where our identity truly ought to be placed all the time, that our identity is because of what God has done originally in causing us to be born and enter this beautiful world to live in and then creating us in Christ Jesus. And then our good works, the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to be about are a beautiful testimony a beautiful revelation, a beautiful evidence of who we are because God has made us and who we are because Jesus has saved us. Our good works are our response to what God has done. Ephesians 2 tells us this, that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. One translation says it this way, that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that, should, that we should walk in them. And what Paul is getting at here is that good works become our way of life. They become our pattern of life. They're things that we do often. It just gives evidence to the way that we live our life. We walk in these good works that we do in a response to what God has done for us. But what are these good works? I mean, this is a question too, right? What are these good works? And are, are your good works the same as my good works? Or do we have different good works that we ought to be doing, that God has prepared for us to do? Are these works hidden from us? Are they sort of hard to find? You know, are we going through life sort of on a treasure hunt, really, trying to seek out these good works and, and find them? Or are they obvious to us? What are these good works? Ephesians 2.10 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And when you go home today, read the whole part of Ephesians 2, the first eight, uh, nine verses. And they are incredible, incredible. Especially verses 8 and 9 that preface this verse, verse 10 here. 
Read that, meditate on that, reflect on that. But one of my favorite verses, right, and, and I, I think if I remember right, I kind of just stumbled onto this verse. It became sort of really important to me in my late teens, early 20s. And what happened, though, in me is I began to just sort of develop a bit of fear about this verse, if you can believe that. Um, and my fear was that I would miss some of these good works that God had for me. Because the Bible says that God has laid them out for us in advance for us to do. And I thought, well, what if I miss one of these good works? What if I get to heaven and I stand before God and he, you know, he reviews my life and, and he says, oh, there, that Tuesday, August, whatever, ah, miss, good works, ah, miss. Ah, too bad, Kent. You know, and that Wednesday, good works, yay, Kent, you did that one. Awesome, way to go. You know, when God had a scorecard, good works, Kent accomplished, good works, ah, Kent missed. You know, and that's not the way. Let me just tell you, that's not the way to approach this passage here. It's not the way to do that. Sometimes as well, we might think, well, good works. God prepared in advance. So what are some good works? I'm going to think of some good works. <laughs> you know, and so we say, God, I want to do something great for you. I want to do something outrageous. I want to do something fantastic for you. I want to do something grand and exciting and extraordinary for you. That's not a healthy way either to approach this passage and apply it to our lives. As we think about this verse and the good works that God has prepared for us to do, I want to encourage all of us to begin approaching this passage this way. You see, God has already given us an idea of some good works that he wants us to be about. And these words come straight from Jesus, the great commandment. Jesus says in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Two great commands. One great command, sorry, two parts. Right? Jesus says this to us and in these two phrases here, loving God and loving others, there's good works for us to do in loving God. There's good works for us to do in loving others. And so as we think about these good works that God has prepared in advance to do, think about your life and say, where are the good works in my life that reveal that I do love God? Where are the good works in my life that reveal that I love others, I love my neighbor as myself? For you specifically, what are some good works that give evidence to your life so that other people would see your life and see your good works and say, here's a person that loves God? Are there things that you do on a regular basis, actions, activities that you do that would give testimony that you love God? Likely there will be some things. And as you pray and think about this, maybe there's some other things that God would say, hey, here's something good for you to do that will give evidence that you love me, that you worship me, that I am your God, you have no other gods before me. There's some things that we do as a church collectively, a Center Street Church, that we've identified that are important to us collectively as a church. There's good works that we do that give evidence that we are a church that loves God. We want to be a church that loves God and pursues God in prayer. We want to be a church that prays. Prayer, prayer is a good work to do. It's a good pattern. It's a good practice for us to do because in praying, we show that we love God. We're seeking after God. Our hearts are drawn towards God and God speaks to us when we pray. 
and listen to him? As a church, this last year, you don't know this, but we have had 876 gatherings of people, people that have gathered together over this last year to pray. 876 gatherings where people of Center Street Church have gathered to pray, to seek the heart of God and intercede in prayer. In those 876 gatherings, 5,563 people attended those gatherings. That's, that's us as a church doing good works, good works to show that we love God, that our hearts are drawn towards God. We want to be a church that loves God by reading his word, reading his word daily, applying his truth to our lives. That's a good work for us to do. It's a good pattern. It's a good way of life for us to walk in. If you missed last weekend, you want to go online and listen to a message by our guest speaker, Ken Dick, a friend of Center Street Church, and he lays out just one way such a practical way to study God's word, to hear God speak through his word and then respond to that. If you missed last week, go watch that. Many of us follow a daily Bible reading plan that we follow. And if you don't have one, go on our website. Just type in, search Bible reading plan. There'll be one there you can download as a PDF and follow that so that you're in God's word regularly. We want to be a church that loves God by knowing him through his word. That's who we want to be. We, we want to be a church that loves God by gathering for worship regularly on weekends. And this campus and all of our campus locations, on average, there's 6,000 adults and children that gather to worship God regularly each and every weekend to hear the preaching of God's word, hear God's word taught as faithfully and truthfully and practically as we can. And then we all respond to what God is saying to us. We want to be a church that gathers. You see, here's my point. There's some, general, there's some general common good works that really are for all of us as we love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. The things that I've just mentioned, Jesus lived out. Jesus did this. Jesus prayed. Jesus read God's word. Jesus gathered together with others for worship. Jesus patterned these good works. Jesus lived these good works. And so we just want to be faithful and live in the way of Jesus and follow after Jesus well. So there's some common general good works that are so good for us. But I do believe there's some specific good works for you, some specific good works for me that are unique to you because of the way and the uniqueness that God has created you, there's some specific things for you to do that would be your way of life that would show that you love God. Love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And I can't tell you what those good works are. So those are things you have to prayerfully discern and pray and seek the Lord about the specific good works that he has for you. Second part of this great command is to love your neighbor as yourself. Are there some things that characterize your life? Are there some good works in your life that as you live them out, they show that you love your neighbor, that you love others around you? Likely there are some things, but maybe God wants to speak to you about some additional good works. 
There's some things that we do as a church to help us all be in environments where we can love others, love our neighbors, love people around us, serve and bless them and learn with them. You see, as a church, we value biblical community. We value community. We value groups. Our dream would be is that every single person that calls Center Street Church their spiritual family would be a part of some form of group, some form of community. From the little ones right now, as we're in this room, little ones are meeting just in the other part of the building around tables in groups. This past year, we've had 521 different groups, from kids to, I mean, all ages and stages of life. 521 groups where people met regularly, they learn from one another, they pray for one another, they challenge one another, they reach out and serve their neighbors, their, their neighborhoods that they live in. There's groups that meet at this church that um, people who don't know Jesus yet are a part of these groups. I heard a story just this last week. There's one group that we have, and there's a few people in there who don't know Jesus yet, and they would not miss this group. They're almost more committed to the group than the Christians are <laughs> because of the, the community and the love that they feel a part of this group. A sense of belonging that they have. We're passionate about biblical community and what happens in those groups and the environment that is possible then to love one another, serve one another, bless one another. One of these groups, uh, over this last winter, they, they did something so unique just to bless their neighborhood. Um, one of the families in the group, their backyard borders on one of these uh, water catchment basins that we have for water runoffs that we have all over Calgary, right? Their, their backyard borders on that. And um, in winter, obviously, that froze over. And so this whole group got the idea that they were going to shovel the snow off that ice and... Um, plan certain times over the winter and just invite all the kids from the neighborhood to come and skate on there and play on there. And um, the way the story goes is as the adults were shoveling off the snow off the ice, you could just look out in that, in that uh, in neighborhood and see all the kids' faces, right, just plastered right up against the window. They were so excited. And um, the adults just brought some construction lights out and just lit up that whole pond area and the kids were playing on it. And the feedback from neighbors were... How is it that some people would want to, to do good for the neighborhood? How is it that a group of people would want to bless the kids in the neighborhood in this way and go through all of that effort and work? It was good works, good works that this group did to love their neighbor as themselves. Our kids, boy, our kids are, are doing awesome stuff. At all of our campuses, our kids bring pocket change dollars they're offering they bring when they come to our children's ministry on average the last couple of years our kids have contributed twelve thousand twelve thousand five hundred dollars in their offering that they bring and you know they're modeling the way for us as adults and um and that money has gone directly to support local christian agencies here in calgary across Canada and around the world. The other thing that our kids do is maybe you've seen this in our atrium. There's a little um, booth with some grass on the roof and we call it the loaves and fishes shop. Loaves and fishes shop. And what happens there is when kids memorize scripture, um, their teachers um, give them 
memory moolah, they call it. And it's fake money, don't tell them that, you know. Um, <clears throat> but what they do is when they've memorized scripture, they can take this memory moolah and go to the loaves and fishes shop. And if they have $5, all of our tithes and offerings um, match dollar for dollar. So the kids contribute $5, and us as a church, we match $5. So there's $10 now that the kids can allocate where they want those funds to go. Do you know that our kids have funded four water wells this last year? Our kids have done that. Our kids are buying Bibles for our partner churches in Ukraine. Our kids are buying warm clothing for people here in Calgary. Are here in Calgary. Our kids are doing good works, which God prepared in advance for them to do. And you know, our, our kids, teachers, the, the, the volunteers that we have who serve faithfully in our children's ministry area, so grateful for them. Because they're doing good works. When they gather a group of kids together, they teach these kids and pray with these kids. And my daughter's teacher on Saturday nights, we come Saturday nights as a family, and um, she keeps track of the prayer requests. <laughs> you know, and she'll say, Olivia, we prayed last week for this. How's this going? She is living out good works, which God prepared in advance for her to do. Loving my daughter. Loving my daughter, as she loves herself. Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, what I've just described here are only some of the good works that are happening throughout our church. Some of the ways that our groups are making a difference, individuals are making a difference. I haven't talked about our new Canadian ministries, our compassion ministries that just serve the community and love, serve our neighbors in Calgary so well. But here's the gentle challenge that I want to bring to all of us on this weekend. Here's the gentle challenge. You see, it's okay. It's more than okay, it's great. It's great if you come on the weekend, participate in our worship services, hear God's word taught, respond and say, God, what are you saying to me through the preaching of your word? What are you saying to me? And then you live out in obedience. It's great for you to do that. But some of us, some of you, I believe God's calling to participate more fully in this church as your spiritual family. And for whatever reason, you haven't taken that step yet, and that's, that's okay. But at some point, participate, engage, serve, volunteer. Use the gifts and abilities that God has given you to be a part of this spiritual family, to help this mission that we are on a Center Street Church. See, in our family, if you're a part of our family, we all pitch in. No one gets a free pass after supper. <laughs> it's not my wife and I cleaning up after supper. No, everybody is involved. Everybody pitches in. No one gets a pass. Unless you made supper or lunch or breakfast all on your own, then you can relax, but everybody else pitches in. We all help out. That's just the way it works in our family. On the weekends, we all pitch in and do our chores. We all clean the house together. Mom doesn't get a pass. Dad doesn't get a pass. Josiah, Mike, Olivia, no one gets a pass. We all pitch in. Our kids reminded us, Mom and Dad, we haven't gotten allowance in a long time. 
How did that slip by mom and dad? Hey, <laughs> but you see, our kids don't get allowance for doing their chores. No, it's a privilege to be a part of the Preby family. And we all pitch in. We all pitch in together. It's a privilege to be a part of the family. Everybody pitches in. We all serve one another. We're one family. And you know what, church? I think the same way applies to us as a spiritual family, as a church family. There's times and seasons someone has to have a pass sit out because of whatever's going on in their life. Absolutely. But we're a spiritual family. We're a church. We all pitch in. We all help out. We all advance the mission. We all care for one another, serve one another, bless one another. We're all privileged to be a part of this spiritual family called Center Street Church. That's the gentle challenge I want all of us to hear. Just share with you just a little bit more personally. I work 40 plus hours here a week, just like many of you do at your job. And I volunteer. This past year, I volunteered with grade sevens. This next year, I'll volunteer with grade eight boys. It's hilarious. It's a blast. <laughs> you know, many of you, you work hard at your place of work. And, and there's opportunities. There's such great need. There's so much work to be done around here. So much work to do in our children's ministry area, our youth ministry area. Um, so many great needs. It would take so long for me to explain them all, but so many great needs that we do have as a church, and I just want to gently lay that before you and say pray about that. Have a conversation about that in the atrium afterwards to see how you might join with this spiritual family on the mission that God has called us to, introducing people to Jesus, that we all become fully devoted followers. If you have time during the day, we've got some good works for you to do. <laughs> If you have time in the evenings, we've got good works for you to do. Um, don't be afraid. We can train anybody. We can train anybody to do almost anything around here. Why am I saying all of this? Because of this. There's a gentleman that every so often comes, a retired missionary. And what he does is he vacuums the whole second floor of this building. He shows up and he vacuums. And vacuuming is not a lower job than any other job around here. Because vacuuming makes this place clean for all of you and our guests that come every single weekend and just sets a table of hospitality, sets up this place to be welcoming for everybody to come in here. And his job is critical, critical to this place being a welcoming place so that people can come and find hope and love and healing and can find Jesus here. And I am so thankful for that gentleman who does that as part of his regular pattern. He is doing good works and serving all of you, all of you, everybody who enters this space. I want to gently challenge you participate in this spiritual family. Here's why. Because you have been created by God. Uniquely, intricately, with purpose, with unique gifts and abilities and talents and personalities, you are one of a kind. And God has laid out all of your days before you. Before you lived one day, he had established and written all of your days down in his book. 
And you are here at this time in 2019 for a purpose. God had planned that out and set that out and established it. And he's placed you in your neighborhood where you live, in the routes that you travel through Calgary. He's placed you in your place of work for a purpose. So that you would do good works in your place of work. You would do good works in your neighborhood with the families and friends that you would have. You would do good works as a part of this family, the spiritual family called Center Street Church. This is what God has done. Can I get an amen about that? Right? This is what God has done. Each one of us. And he has put... He hasn't just put a couple of thoughts into how we would live our lives. He has put thought after thought after thought, millions of thoughts together for us to live our life, to do good works. And we all know, we all know that our good works are not to make us look good. Our motivation to do good works is not even to make God love us more, to make him be more pleased with us, make him approve of us more. Our good works reveal that we were created by God. Our good works reveal that we have a loving heavenly father. Our good works reveal that we are God's workmanship, that we are created in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that people should look at us and see our good works and glorify our father who is in heaven. Our good works become the evidence of what we believe. Our good works become the testimony that people would see our lives and say, there's, there's a product of God. They're created by God to do good works. We point people to Jesus. And we know, we know that there's so many people in Calgary that need hope. They need a grander picture of life because the life that they're living, they don't like. If you'd get an honest answer from them and say, I don't like my life. I want a new life. I want a different life. The life I'm living, I would trade in for a different life. Your life well lived will say that there's a different way to live. It's possible to have a different way to live this life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends here this morning that they'd walk out here with a bigger, grander picture and vision of how you have made them. They would walk out of here in awe and wonder of you, God, and what you have done in their life to bring them to this point. They would be in awe and wonder of how you have intricately designed them created them to be and they would worship you passionately because of who you are and how wonderful you are. Father, I pray that my friends would walk out of here having the courage and boldness and the strength to live out good works before a world, before people, before neighbors that are watching, watching their way of life and hoping that they might live differently. Pray that our church, this church, would be a witness, God, of good works across this city and Calgary and the surrounding area, that this church would be characterized by good works, acts of love towards you, God, acts of service and blessing and service towards others. May this church be known as a church that serves others extravagantly, 
because of what God has done for us in the ways that we've been served personally. Father, if there's anyone here that, that really is just heavy with a weight, just wondering if you love them, if you value them, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would correct their unbelief. May they believe that they are loved by you, cherished by you, valued by you, loved by you as a son and a daughter. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and lift up his countenance, his glory upon you. And may he give you peace as you go about this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Man, God bless you, church. Enjoy your long weekend. Stop by for a cup of coffee and have a conversation. We'd love to pray with you as well if there's something on your heart you'd like prayer for. God bless you, church.